Well, welcome to week five of Dear Synergy. Let me start by saying hello to all of you, especially our guests. If you're visiting with us, we're honored that you're here. Those who may be listening by the podcast, we're excited that you chose to be a part of this sermon today. Um, Have you ever experienced anything great? Like, have you ever been a part of a team or an event or something that just, you just recognize like, maybe I don't deserve this, or I can't believe I get to experience this, or this is so much bigger than anything I ever dreamed of. For me, it was around nine years old, and um, I was part of an all-star basketball team, and we played like on the eight-foot basketball goals. You know, they would hang the goals over the big goals, and you got all these little kids just running around that don't really know what they're doing, but it was just such a blast. And we went to a region tournament as, I believe I was nine years old, maybe 10, and we actually got beat. And so our hearts were broken, our dreams were shattered, and we thought the world had just come crashing down. But uh, fortunately for us, uh, I'm from Tacoa, and Tacoa Falls College was hosting the state tournament. Now, I don't know why these rules exist, but I'm thankful they do. But because our city was hosting the state tournament, we got an automatic bid back into the tournament. So we lost the region tournament, but we got this free pass into the state tournament. And I remember we made it to the championship game. And we were just so pumped up as little kids. I mean, this was just a dream come true. And uh, when the game started, we didn't, we didn't do very well. And we got down in the first half, and we thought there was no chance that we could do this. And at halftime, our coach, he just kind of got in our faces, and he said, guys, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And he just pumped us up, man. I don't remember what he said exactly, but I remember going out there thinking, we're just going to kill these guys. And we fought back, and right at the end of the game, we took the lead, and we won the state championship. And you should have just seen the parents and all of us kids. We were running around like our world had just exploded. I mean, we had people sitting on people's shoulders, and our coaches were just throwing people in the air. It was the greatest thing ever. And ever since then, I've kind of dreamed for that moment in sports, and I never experienced it again since I was nine years old. But for me, I'm the type of person that dreams big dreams. I don't know about you. Maybe you're just the type of person that... Maybe you just survive or you just want to make it through the days, but I just want to be part of something great, something huge, something that's just greater than me, and I long for that for my life. And so for me, this church has potential to be that. And I just have these huge dreams of how God could use us as a church to have an incredible impact, not only here in Winder, but I literally believe that we could have an impact around the world through what God wants to do in us. And so we, from the very beginning, have dreamed big, and we've got these huge dreams. We don't want to be a church that just exists. We don't want to be another church that just sits on a corner and goes through the motions. I believe that God uses all churches of all sizes, but man, I've just got this dream in my heart that God would do something just out of this world through us. And as we seek to live out that dream and experience that dream, I think that it's important for us to stay focused on the right things so that we give our chance and opportunity to allow God to do something in our midst. You know, there's some things that churches can do that don't please Christ. And there are some things that some churches can do that will keep them and prohibit them from experiencing some great things that God has in store for him. Here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus said that he would build his church, and I believe that he has this mission for every church in this world to just do huge things. But so many times as churches, we get so focused on the wrong things at times that we don't achieve and we don't experience all that God wants to do in us. So this series, Dear Synergy, 
It's really our attempt to say, God, if you want to do something big in us, if you want to do something big through us, if you want us to experience this influence that we could only imagine, then what do we need to stay focused on and what do we need to uh, focus our energies and our time and our efforts around? And so this, this series is all about kind of hearing God's opinion of the church through seven letters that were written in the book of Revelation to seven different churches. Now this book, Revelation, uh, is just that actually. It's a revelation that was given by Jesus to a disciple named John. He was one of Jesus' closest followers. He had been exiled to an island. It was an island called Patmos. And while he was exiled on this island, he had this vision. He had this revelation where Jesus gave him some instructions, and he told him to write some things down, and he told him to send some letters to some churches and to reveal some things to them that he was pleased with and some things to them that he was not pleased with. And so I think it makes sense for us if we're going to be a church that seeks to please Christ, that seeks to accomplish big things by doing what he's called us to do, is to look at each of these letters and just say, what is it that made Jesus happy? What is it that pleased Christ? And let's make sure that we do those things. And then what are the things that he corrects some churches? And he says, hey, you're not doing great in these areas. And let's try to avoid those. It would be nice if we could receive our own letter, our own email, if you will, and just have Jesus tell us specifically what we need to focus on. And, but I think that these letters are just that. And so we've looked at four letters up to this point. This is week five of the series. And we're looking at a letter to a church called Sardis. And let me just tell you that uh, this has just been a, a great week for me as I've just been thinking and pondering and studying this letter because I think that this letter is the most practical of all the letters when it comes to us seeking to please Christ by seeing some advice and some words that he's given to this church. I think that the churches, especially in America, can relate to this church in Sardis possibly more than any of these other churches. And so we're going to dive into uh, Revelation chapter number three. We're going to start reading in verse number one, and I'm just going to read through this letter in its entirety, and then I'm going to come back and focus a big portion of our time on the statement that Jesus makes right up front. Here's the letter to the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your deeds. Isn't that... Isn't that a fearful thing that we should just be reverent of? That Jesus knows our deeds, that he's omniscient, he knows all things, that nothing catches him by surprise, and there's nothing we can hide from Jesus, from God. And so that's a humbling statement for Jesus to say, I know your deeds. And here's what he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What a tragic verse. For Jesus to say, hey, I know who you are. I know your deeds. I know your heart. I know the things that you do. And here's what I know about you. You have a reputation of being alive. Like people on the outside look at your church and they think that you're alive, but you're dead. What a disheartening verse for this church to receive a letter that says this. And here's his encouragement to them. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. 
Yet you have a few people in Sardis, this is a hope that we'll talk about, who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but I know your deeds, and you're dead. Can you imagine the the church of Christ, the, the church that has been tasked with the honor of bringing forth the good news of the hope that's found in Christ, has a reputation of being alive, but is dead. And I just have this gut feeling that If we look at churches across America, this would be a letter, this would be a reality that a lot of us churches could relate to, that we could see truth in this. Such a disheartening verse. Here's what I know about reputations. In a worldly sense, here on this earth, in life, the saying goes that your reputation what? Precedes you. Your reputation precedes you, that... It's possible for people to know about you, to know things that you're for, things that you're involved in before they ever meet you, so that when they meet you, they have a knowledge, they have an opinion about you. You've all experienced moments when you've received the preceding reputation from someone before you meet them. And for some people, that was a great thing. And you'd heard nothing but fantastic things about them. And when you met them and got to know them, it just confirmed everything about that reputation that you had heard. But sometimes those reputations are negative. Maybe like me in college, you were approached by someone of the opposite sex, someone that may have been interested in you, and you had people, you had friends that cared about you enough to come to you and say, hey, listen, you just need to know some things about that girl. You need to know some things about that guy. They're not all good, and their intentions aren't all great, and this is what people are saying. We like to say that's gossip, but so many times there's always a nugget of truth in most gossip. And so I can remember people telling me things about different people, uh, whether it was friends that I was looking to hang out with or girls that I was considering dating and just hearing like these opinions that people had and then finding them most times to be true made me so thankful that our reputation can precede us, that we can know things about people before we experience them. But here's the dangerous thing is that until we actually get to know someone, the reputation that precedes them isn't always trustworthy. And people can have a great reputation, but behind the scenes, if you really get to know them, it can be a a lie, and it can be a mask, and it can be a negative situation. Maybe there's a business person that you're thinking of doing business with and you've heard great things, but when you really get to know them and you see them behind closed doors, you understand that they really aren't the person that people think they are. And this is the church that Jesus was writing this letter to. People on the outside, in the community, people would look at this church, 
Possibly other churches had heard about this church in Sardis, and they thought nothing but good things. This church was alive. I mean, they had things going. Everything that should be going right in a church seemed on the outside to be going right in this church, and they were doing things the right way. But behind closed doors, in a heart that only Jesus could see, this church was far from alive. They were dead. Not everyone in the church was dead, but the church as a whole had this false reputation. You know, this isn't the first time that Jesus would make a statement like this about someone's reputation, about the way someone carries themselves, and it being false and not true. In fact, there were a group of people when Jesus was alive here on this earth that he never hated anyone, but I think the people that he disliked the most were some of the most religious people. Or a group of people called the Pharisees, or a group of people called Sadducees. These would have been religious leaders in the day that Jesus walked here on this earth, and these would have been the people that everyone on the outside would have looked to as the most spiritual people in their communities, in their cities. They would have been highly respected, and people would have seen them as having their act together. Very spiritual. They were teachers. They taught people how to follow the ways of the faith. But Jesus always had something bad to say about these people. In fact, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 23. Let's go ahead and start looking at verse number 25. Jesus speaking to these Pharisees says, Woe to you! In fact, this whole chapter is basically Jesus giving them commentary. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Listen to this, you hypocrites. Maybe you're not familiar with church, and maybe you've had a bad church experience, and maybe for you, this describes a lot of people that go to churches. Maybe you look at a lot of people who claim to be religious, and this is how you would classify them. They're hypocrites. And Jesus looked to this religious group of people and said, you hypocrites. Listen to this. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You focus on making sure the outside is clean, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So they had it backwards. They were so focused on the outside and their reputation and the way they were perceived and seen that they failed to grasp the heart of true righteousness. Verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Can you imagine Jesus saying this about you? You're a whitewashed tomb. Yeah, you think you're religious, and people think you're religious, but I know your heart. And you can fool everybody else, and you can focus on making sure the outside is perfect and beautiful and clean. There's no mess to it. But on the inside, I see your heart full of self-indulgence, full of greed. You're dead men's bones on the inside. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as, to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You ever met anybody like that? You ever met someone who claimed to be religious, who claimed to have everything together, and they carried themselves like they were very religious and like they had everything together, but when you got to know them, you're like, dude, you are just jacked up. You got all kind of issues, and I don't know who you're trying to fool, but the more I'm getting to know you, you are far from who people think you are. 
And this little game of religion that you're playing that you think is going to make you righteous by fooling people, by causing people to see you differently than you really are, it's a dangerous, dangerous game. You know, in fact, churches all across this country, when it comes to Halloween, right, the devil's holiday, they say, you know, we can't celebrate Halloween. That's the devil's playground. That's the devil's holiday. And so we're going to do an alternative to this holiday because we don't embrace that yet. I think so many times our churches are full of people wearing masks week after week. It's almost like Halloween week after week inside our churches. And we say that we don't embrace it, but we wear these costumes and these masks and we hide behind identities that aren't true. How shameful, how disheartening for us to represent the church, to represent Christ as people who aren't who we say we are all across America. And then there's this story that we find in Mark chapter number three, where Jesus had another encounter with this group of religious people that I think just so describes a lot of our churches today that hopefully we can learn from. It's in Mark chapter number three, starting in verse number one. It says, another time he went into the synagogue, speaking of Jesus, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. A man who, in the eyes of everyone that would have been in the synagogue, in this religious gathering, in this worship experience, if you will, would have known that there was a man there that had an issue of sorts. He wasn't perfect. He didn't have everything together. And in their minds, they saw this guy, they noticed this guy, they took note of who he was, and we're going to see that the way they viewed him wasn't very Christ-like, because they were more concerned about a reputation than they were a heart to reach and connect with people. And I think that perhaps here today, perhaps in churches all across this community, that there are people that walk into our churches and they've got issues. They're not perfect, me included. And they walk in and they have these hurts, they have these areas that they're probably ashamed of. I can imagine this man with a shriveled hand probably carried himself differently than people whose both hands were, were whole. He probably tried to, to hide and not bring attention to this shriveled hand. He probably tried to greet people in a way that didn't bring attention to this issue in his life. And, and isn't that how we come to church, come to God so many times, is that we have these issues that, that we're kind of ashamed of that we don't want people to know about. And we're going to find out why that's the case. Verse number two. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So this man that's hurting, this man that has this issue, this man that needs help, this man who needs healing, comes into this gathering of people who are worshiping, who are gathered in the name of God. In this religious encounter, he comes in hurting, and yet people don't look at him and, and have pity on him. They don't look at him and have a heart. How can we help this man? What do they do? They say, well, well here's Jesus, and Jesus, he goes around doing things that are contrary to our laws. And so we're going to watch Jesus, and we're going to see if he actually tries to heal this man. And then we'll have a reason to accuse Jesus of breaking our law. You say, well, we don't have that kind of law, but 
But don't we have man-made laws? You know, the, the Jewish people had like 613 different laws. Now, these were, for the most part, man-made laws. Jesus gave the Ten Commandments. He gave the law in general. But as the people with a heart to please God, as a heart to be righteous in his sight, they began to say, what are other areas that we can be more specific with and make laws to ensure that we're righteous? And they began making law after law after law. And one of the laws that they made was that you can't heal people on the Sabbath, on the day of rest. On the day that's just for worship and rest to honor God. Now, I don't know how many people would have gotten healed throughout the week. But can you imagine someone coming in who needed to be healed? And people saying, sorry, not today. We're kind of here, you know, this religious experience to kind of, you know, we worship and stuff. But, you know, you're going to have to wait some other time to have your needs met. Does that sound like our churches? especially here in America at all today, that people come in with issues and we're so concerned about our man-made traditions and legalities that we fail to even catch the heart of the people who are hurting. Listen, I can remember as we were giving out information at different events and festivals, just trying to beg anyone to come check out our church. I can remember people asking me questions, people who had obviously been hurt by churches, because I can remember people asking me things like, like, is it okay if I don't own a suit? Can I come visit your church if I don't have a suit? And I'm like, yeah, you don't have to have a suit to come to our church. Like, is it okay if I have tattoos? Like, do I need to cover those up when I come to your church? And I'm like, no, you come just as you are. Like, you don't have to cover up tattoos, and you're welcome if you have tattoos. And people are so concerned that it broke my heart to think potentially someone would have gone to church and had a bad experience because they had tattoos or they didn't look the way they were supposed to look when they went to this religious encounter. A reputation for being righteous, for being alive, for having everything together, but truly being dead. Verse number three, Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Can you imagine that Sunday? Like you come in with your issue and you don't want people to notice it because you know they're going to judge you for it. You're trying to hide it because maybe you're ashamed of it or you maybe think you don't fit in. Like people are going to look at you differently. And all of a sudden, the man in charge gets up and says, yeah, hey, you got the issue right there. Yeah, I said, hey, stand up right there in front of everybody. Come on, come on, it's okay. Stand up. Everybody look, you see this man? See this man with this issue? And I often wonder when I read this scripture, I'm like, why would Jesus call him out? Like, why would he embarrass this man? I don't think he was trying to embarrass this man. I think that he was wanting this man to know that he had a heart for him. And it was almost like he was saying, look, look around. Everybody's judging you. Everybody cares more about if I'm going to heal you than, than having your needs met. But hey, I'm with you. Like, I love you. I care about you. I have compassion on you. I know that you are in need. And I know that you're not perfect. You don't have everything together. But my heart is to see you made whole. My heart is to see you helped and healed. And I get so frustrated when people have bad experiences in churches because they come in with needs and the needs are looked down upon and the needs are, are overlooked because they don't give the reputation that people want. Sometimes religion just, it frustrates me to death because religion is all about the outside. 
It's all about following the rules. It's all about keeping the laws. It's all about making sure that we look right. And so many times the religious aspects of our lives keeps us from focusing on our hearts. So Jesus has this, this man with this issue stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked the crowd, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. So Jesus has this man stand up. See that shriveled hand? Which is more lawful, for me to do good for him or to do evil? What do you, what do you think? Should I heal him or should I not? And no one's saying anything. And everybody's just like, what is he about to do? And the most religious people in the room are like, go ahead, I dare you to heal him. Because I'm just looking for a reason to accuse you of being unlawful. I'm not having the right reputation. And then Jesus says in verse number five, it says, he looked around them at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. I love that. He's deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Like, I know you could care less about this man, but watch this. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. This man who was hurting, this man who was imperfect, this man who came in with some areas of his life that he was ashamed of. He left completely made whole. He left healed. He left completely restored. And everybody's going to tell everybody about this, right? You're not going to believe what happened in church today. This man came in, he had this issue, and Jesus healed him. Jesus touched him. Jesus made him whole. I mean, his life is complete. I mean, we're going to celebrate that, right? We're going to look at someone who has issues like we all have, and we all have had, and Jesus has touched us, and now Jesus touches this man, and we're going to celebrate that, right? Not this church. Not this gathering of people. Verse 6, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. They didn't celebrate. They weren't glad. Their heart was, we got to kill this guy. It's disgusting that he would help that man. On the Sabbath of all days, on the Lord's day, the holy day, he healed someone. How absurd is that? I just get so frustrated and we have religious people all in our churches that have this reputation. You know what Jesus' greatest accusation from religious people was? That he was a friend of sinners. That when everyone avoided sinners, tax collectors, evil people, the untouchables of the society, when everyone avoided them because of their religion, Jesus pursued them. And because of that, because he had a love for people who weren't perfect, he was accused falsely. That was his greatest accusation. And yet we as a church so many times care so much about not being seen with the wrong group of people, not having our reputation tainted, not allowing people to see us involved with messes, that we just avoid any opportunity to see someone made whole, to see someone healed. And Jesus says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. See, in life, our reputation precedes us, but when it comes to Christ, so many times, our reputation deceives us. 
And we live our lives embracing a reputation rather than embracing a relationship with Christ and having his heart and allowing him to do through us what he wants to do through us to the people who need it most. Listen, I've lived this life. I hung my hat on my reputation for most of my life. I took pride in having people think that I was like the perfect Christian, that I had everything together, that I was this high school kid that played sports, that was successful in the classroom, on the courts and fields, and yet I held this standard for Jesus that was to be admired. You say, well, how can a church have a reputation of being alive when they're actually dead? Well, I'll tell you how. Is because they valued the reputation so much, they hid the dead areas that would cause people not to see them as being alive. They masked it. And for a large portion of my life, I wouldn't allow people to see some, some parts of my life that were honestly probably a little dead. That didn't honor God. And I lived my life so that people would respect me and allow me to be an example to their kids. And I was great at hiding things that weren't perfect so that I was perceived as perfect. I've been using so many illustrations to youth groups as a college student because I had everything together and you need to be like Bronson and you need to take these stands that he's taken and all the while knowing there were things in my heart that I would be embarrassed if people knew. Did I love Jesus? Yes. Did I live my life for him? Yes, but I wasn't the person that everybody thought they knew. Not completely. And so they were able to hide the dead parts, keep secrets, have conversations like, don't tell anybody about this. We can't have anybody find out about this. And so everybody thinks this church is alive. They've got it together. I think that so many of the churches that we respect and think have everything together, if we could just go behind the scenes, we'd probably be disgusted like Jesus was toward this church. When he says, you're dead. You aren't who you say you are. And so his words to this church... Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Now, now he's not saying like some of you are dying and you need to wake up and become alive. He's saying, we know this from the end of the letter, that there are some people there who weren't dead. That there are some people there that in spite of this false reputation, that they were living lives that honored Jesus. They were alive. I have such an admiration for people who aren't so tied to a reputation of being a part of something that they won't commit to it. Here are these people who are alive in a church full of people who are dead, and the reputation is that the church is alive, but they know the truth that these people are dead, and they don't go out and say, hey, that church is so dead, you think this about them. They hang in there, they stay committed They stand for who they are based on a relationship rather than a religion. These are the people that 
are going to hold us through some trying times in our church who don't just see something imperfect and hit the road and say, I can't be a part of that because they're claiming to be something they're not because that's every church. Let's be honest. We all have imperfections and we all have areas that need work. But there was a group of people there that in spite of this false reputation of most of the church, they hung in there. And Jesus says, strengthen what remains. How can we be a church that doesn't become a dead church with a reputation of being alive? As we've got to continue to strengthen what's alive, what remains. That we've got to make sure that we're so focused on our relationship, on being who God wants us to be, instead of focused on a reputation, that we become stronger, that our influence becomes greater, that we see people changed, that we see dead people come to life, we see dead areas revived because we're strengthening what remains. For I have not found your deeds complete in my sight. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come. Speaking of his second coming, that he's going to come. He's going to return to the earth one day. And it's not going to be announced. We're not going to know, like, Jesus is coming back on a certain date. So I've got to make sure I've got everything ready. He's going to come back, and if you haven't repented, if you haven't stopped focusing so much on this false reputation, and it's not going to look good for you. Yet you have a few people. This is, this is what we've got to hold on to. We want to be a church full of people who have not sold their clothes. They walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And whoever comes will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father. Let him who hears what the Spirit says to the churches. So I want to I end on a scripture in Ephesians. And I want to give us all a reminder. And I want us all to remember who we once were and be reminded of who we are today by the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. As for you, this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. This is you being the people in the church. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. All of you, inclusive. Every last one of you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who were disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We're all flawed people. We all have a past. We all have areas that were dead. We all have that history that before we came to know Jesus, we were dead. We were hopeless. We were objects of wrath. I don't care what kind of religious situation you grew up in. This is a reality for you and for me, for Paul and for this church in Ephesus. I love verse 4. But, but because of his great love for us, because God loved us so much, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Your reputation has nothing to do with your salvation. 
and what people think of you and say about you and perceive about you will do nothing for the life that you need to find. That's so freeing to me. I don't know about you, that's freeing for me. It's almost like it takes chains off of me from thinking that I have to please everyone, that I have to be perfect in the sight of everyone because my salvation, my life that's found in Christ, it doesn't come from pleasing people. It doesn't come from convincing people that I have everything together. And so if somebody finds out that I don't have everything together, guess what? I don't care. I don't care what people think about me. It doesn't matter in the end. What matters is that by the grace of God, Jesus made us alive when we were dead. Some of you maybe this morning, you need to hear like this whole church thing, this whole God thing. It's not about you as a bad person becoming good. It's not about you who don't have it all together becoming perfect. God didn't send his son Jesus to this earth so that you could be good. So that you could get everything fixed in your life. He sent his only son Jesus to this earth because you were dead. It doesn't matter what your reputation says about you. If you're dead, the only hope you have is being made alive in Christ. And that comes through salvation, through placing our faith in who Christ is and what he's done for us. That's hopeful. For us as a church, not to feel like we have to have a reputation in this community amongst other churches, amongst other religious people, that it doesn't matter what people think about us. We know this, that by the grace of God, we're made alive through his son, Jesus. Not by works, lest anyone could boast. It's by the grace of God that we're saved through faith. And for somebody this morning, I just... I hope that these words will just set you free. Maybe you live your life constantly with the opinions of man at the forefront of the decisions you make. And you just think, if I can cover up all the bad areas, then people will respect me. If I can just hide the dead areas, then people will think I'm alive. I just I want to free you from that because it doesn't help. It doesn't help. I've been having this conversation with my son, Landon. He's three years old, and he thinks that when he pitches a fit and he cries that it's going to change things, it's going to make him get what he wants. And when we tell him no, and he pitches a fit and just throws this temper tantrum, like in his mind, I think that he thinks that it's going to change the situation. And I've been saying, Landon, listen, you can cry all you want. You're not going to play with a knife. It's not going to happen. Like, I don't care if you cry for six hours straight. I don't care if, like, you go into convulsions because you're so mad at your dad. You're not going to get the knife, so stop crying. Just stop. All it is is an annoyance to people. And I want to say to some people, like, it doesn't matter how hard you try or how much you hide or how hard you focus to be good, to do the right things— it's not going to change who you are. The only thing that can change who you are and bring life to you is Jesus and a relationship with him. And it's like I want to say, like, stop pretending. Stop hiding. Stop covering things up. 
and allow yourself to receive life in Christ. It only comes by placing your faith in him through grace. And if we're going to be a church that experiences huge things, if we're going to be a church that accomplishes our dreams and we see like this massive influence that we can only dream about now come to life, then we can't be a church that has a reputation that's not true. That we've got to say, you know what, we're going to be a real church. And it's okay for people with issues to come in because our heart is to see them made whole. It's not to tell them that they don't look right and so they can't be a part of us. It's not to tell them that they don't fit the part. But it's to say, hey, I'm with you. Like me and you together, we don't have it figured out. But I got a secret for you. You don't have to get everything together. You don't have to hide all that stuff. You can bring it all just as you are to Jesus, and he'll bring you life. And he'll give you hope. Where you have no hope and you have no peace, that only comes from Jesus. And so you can stop playing all the games of religion. And you can stop like trying to find all the faults in other people and make yourself feel good about yourself because you don't have those faults. And you can just give yourself to Jesus and you can experience life in him. And so before I end our time together, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what? I'm kind of tired of playing this game. I've been playing this religion game too long. And I'm tired of constantly worrying about what people think about me and I want to just be free from that and I want to know that I can come to Jesus as I am and it's okay if I don't have everything together because he wants to do something in me that I can't achieve and I can't experience on my own and for some of you it may start with salvation maybe for some of you you've never crossed the line of faith and you've never trusted Jesus for salvation and you've lived your life for yourself and you've tried to fix everything in life and make everything what you want it to be and you're just kind of at the end of yourself. And to you today, it's freeing to know, I can, just, I can just place my faith in Jesus and allow him to come and give me life. But for some of you, maybe, maybe you have crossed that line of salvation, but you still find yourself, like I did a large portion of my life, just so aware of what people think about you and so confined and so imprisoned by the approval of man that your reputation deceives you because what people think about you it's not it's not healthy for you to become who you need to become and for some of you today you just may need to say I'm, I'm done with that game I'm just I'm done I'm just going to live my life for Christ I'm going to be who I am and I'm going to allow him to do in me what he wants to do in me. And I'll focus on obeying Jesus rather than pleasing man. And I'll start learning to hear his voice. And I'll start learning to read his word. And I'll start learning to see who Jesus wants me to be. And I'll stop caring so much about what people think about me. And you can be freed from that this morning. So, so here's what I want us to do. I'm trying to teach us as a church to respond to what God wants to do in us. That it's okay for us publicly in front of people. What Jesus does in front of people, he wants people to know about. To just respond, to have a sensitive heart. To not be like 
my grandfather's generation that just holds everything in and like it's private. Your faith is personal, but it's not private. You're never called to have a private faith. It's personal. It's not private. And so I want you to respond today. If you're here and you're dead, you've never experienced trusting Christ and salvation, and today you want to do that. Or if you're here and you have trusted Christ, but you're tired of playing these games, and you're tired of caring more about your reputation than your relationship. If you fall into either of those two categories, I just want you to stand to your feet. We're going to say a prayer together. We're going to end our time. You can go to lunch and do whatever you got planned today. But right now, in this moment, if Jesus is speaking to your heart, I just want to ask you to stand to your feet. It doesn't matter who sees you. It doesn't matter who's looking around. Today could be the day of salvation for you. Today could be the day where the chains just fall off and you stop worrying so much about people. Anybody else? If you're standing, I just want you, in your heart, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then I just want you to say, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. Thank you for the gift of your son Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for me, and I receive that. If you're standing because you're tired of playing the religious games and caring more about your reputation than your relationship, then I just want you to say, you know, Jesus, I'm done with that. I'm done with being the religious type. And I want to give you myself completely and allow you to do in me what you want to do in me. So you, you pray to yourself as I pray for all of us. Lord, thank you for your words. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that cares more about our relationship with you than any reputation that may precede us. For those standing right now, Father, if they're crossing the line of faith and today they're trusting you for salvation, I pray, Lord, that, that you would bring life into their spirit, that you would make them alive by your grace because of the faith that they're placing in you. And if they're just bound and chained by the opinion of others, Lord, would you just free them from that? Allow them to see that there's such freedom in Christ. It's not about pleasing people and it's not about making people happy. It's about being who you want us to be and receiving from you something that we can't do for ourselves. And so I pray that you would do something in their hearts right now. And I thank you for life that's found only in you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.